Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, we haven't killed you yet. Hi guys, welcome to episode 14 of Slaughter. Yep, uh, Lucy and Emma here. Good week? Yeah, it was quite good. Went on a date, didn't I? Yes. Told him about the podcast. Always a bit of a nervous time, like, yeah, so what are you into? Well, murder. I do a kind of... I love a murder. Yeah, I talk about it loads and I research it during the week. I, I don't know what the good response to that is either. Yeah, me too, on a first date is also terrifying, but you're a fucking psycho would also be kind of mortifying. Well, to be honest, he gave the response that I've had from most male friends members of the family any man generally that i tell about the podcast like step one at response to it is oh you're actually quite funny oh you're actually quite funny like fuck you you know i'm hilarious of course i'm hilarious on recording too yeah well amusing <laughs> <laughs> i think you're funny I'll pass the time we find each other funny that's all right second response i'm sure you can guess what it will be can I be on the podcast? Yeah. Every time. I think I could do this. Maybe I should come on. They always feel like they're helping, they could help me out. Maybe I'll make it better. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I'll have more fans than you by the end. My penis is the key to comedy. They can't see your penis. Well, it, apparently... And I the... don't want to see your penis if this is how you're going to react. <laughs> all the funny is stored in the penis, apparently. Because it's only men that say that. Women are always like, oh, I think it's great. That's brilliant. I'll listen to them all. Yeah, women, always, all the women I've told always say, oh, yeah, I'd love to listen to it. Or the men say, I'd love to be on it. Yeah. <laughs> I will be on it and I'll do it better. But I didn't hold it against him. Although then we can use our little comedy gag manslaughter. So <laughs> it's in there. Well, Luke. Um, oh, yeah. How's your week? Luke's decided he's a vegan. <laughs> I've never known a vegan to order gammon and eggs and chips <laughs> in a cafe. <laughs> But then every time you eat something, I go, oh, vegan, are we? <laughs> vegan in theory. <laughs> vegan in theory. Very, well, well, it was vegan all the time. Then it became, oh, well, it's, it's a, a process of you have to do it bit by bit. You can't do it all at once. <laughs> you can't just be a vegan. Weaning himself off with carcasses of animals. And now it's Monday to Friday vegan. Okay. But he started a new job and he's a boss now. And I was really worried that he was going to go in 
and say, I'm a vegan to everyone, and then order like a bacon sandwich like the next day. Because imagine if you were working with him and he came in, oh, hi everyone, yeah, I'm a vegan, I've got special milk. And then like you see him eating a bacon sandwich the next day, you'd be like, this guy's yeah. a crackpot. We can't set the tone with his hypocrisy. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, we both got a murder. We've got one each this time. Yeah, mine's actually not a murder. Oh. Mine is, I loved researching this. Because there's no rules as long as it's funny. No, I loved researching this guy. Um, I'm going to do Robert Hendy Freeguard. Oh. He was a con man in the 90s, early 2000s. And it was super interesting to read about, but also super frustrating. Because he's still alive and he has made appeals against his convictions. And then there's a lot of conflicting evidence so because it's so convoluted a case that you'll read one article and anyone who researches for themselves afterwards will find this you might read one article that says this woman did this and you might read another article and say it was a totally different woman that did this Uh, so are we gonna get a lawsuit against (laughs) i'm gonna do my best to keep it as straightforward as possible but there might be points when i say i'm pretty sure this is what happened surely it's not liable if you're not saying it's factual yeah surely it's not liable if i say i didn't know it was we're sorry okay so robert hendy freeguard was eventually he had 24 charges against him he was convicted on two charges of kidnapping by fraud 10 of theft and eight of my favorite thing deception ah we have mentioned this before i'm still not sure (laughs) you've legally deceived people and you're going to prison for it you told us you were going to be a vegan and here you are (laughs) with your gammon and eggs deception (laughs) so he was born in derbyshire and he attended hodgethorpe school where his teacher rita taylor sounds like a private school it wasn't. It's just a little primary school. It's just oh. a bit, quite a little bit of a rural area, um, so sort of near the Peak District. Um, and his teacher, she said that he was always an odd boy. That he would be like she'd talk to him, and that he'd just stare you out, never blinking, oh, never flinching. I went to school with a guy like that. It was. I remember when he left. Um, I think he like dropped out in year eleven, and our teacher told us about him and said, he "Used to always stare at me when I was teaching, and I thought he was going to murder me." That is literally what he said. She was like, "It wouldn't be if I was telling him off." She like he'd just lock yeah. eyes, and that was it. He'd fold his arms, lock eyes, and it was like he was watching her the whole time. Maybe I'll look him up. I bet he's done. Um, I bet he's done a crime. Something. I bet he's been deceiving people left, right, and centre. He's fucking deceived the shit out of people. Um, but he would always say at school that one day he was going to do something important. Like, he genuinely... He believed that he was born for greatness. Is he going to paint a masterpiece? No. He's going to kidnap some women. I assume. You assumed rightly. <laughs> and how did you guess? It always <laughs> fucking do. Um, but anyway, so... His... It started... Like, he, he had friends and... Apart from the creepy staring thing, normal-ish. But then his obsessive behaviour came out. He had his first girlfriend um, when he was in college. And she had... I think she'd been working there. And they'd sort of sparked up this relationship after she'd finished. Well, it, what They didn't date while they were at school. But they were only a couple of years apart, which no. happens in six forms. I think she was like TA or something. I think so. Again, like I said, I d- she didn't want her... In a lot of articles, her name isn't revealed. For obvious reasons. Um, And she said that she didn't really... He stole money from her. She said she didn't really want to be involved anymore. 
and he became like obsessive wouldn't let it drop so she moved to get away from him changed her number moved away and he followed her he felt it was like he felt entitled to her he was like because we had this relationship I you should be mine like you shouldn't have friends and family you're mine so he followed her to Shropshire which is quite a way to go yeah. So 1992, he was in Shropshire. He eventually stopped stalking the girlfriend because she did go to the police. Um, but he stayed there and he worked in a bar. Mm. And it said that because of his sort of his arrogance, and he basically pushed out the landlord and became the de facto landlord ah! of this place, just staring at the customers while yeah. he's wiping the cups. Oh God! They just took over all his roles and sort of made him redundant, like yeah. obsolete, until he was basically running the I show. I do this now. Uh-huh. So he worked there and lived above it, and he—it was next to an agricultural college, Harper Adams Agricultural College. And so a lot of the students would regularly come in. It was like their local place. So mm-hmm. he would chat to all of these young students, and because he wanted to be the important one, he would—he was a bit of a Billy bullshitter. Yeah. Like, tell them things just to impress them because he wanted to feel special. And the adoration of these young 18-year-old kids... I mean, if you've gone to agricultural college as well, they've come from farming families that sort of older, like, tend to be rich. Yeah. Um, Quite sheltered. Don't they have, like, the weirdest piss-ups as well? Like, they'll be like, let's get drunk and share some sheep. Like, the Young Farmers Associations. My friend at work always tells me about these they're always a ball it's always a ball yeah and they always do something really bizarre like, oh yeah. you wouldn't believe we then chased we... around some goats <laughs> yeah we got wasted and had wheelbarrow races yeah. um so he was talking to three of these students in particular atkinson sarah smith and maria hendy um and he befriended them they would see him pretty much every day now at this time in the 90s um there was a lot happening with jackets <laughs> curtains curtain haircuts cowboy boots were back um blue shimmery eyeshadow yeah uh that spray stuff you put in your hair it turns parts of it pink butterfly clips yeah oh they were massive i mainly know women's fashion of the 90s <laughs> yeah <laughs> um tattoos. as well as that the things were kicking off with northern ireland and the ira were becoming particularly there was a quite a, few, a spate of terrorist attacks both in Northern Ireland and within England too. Um, so at the time, people not us we weren't giving a shit. We were <laughs> we were like not double denim. Yeah, don't give a damn. But other people were aware of it in the news, and it was a bit of a concern, particularly around this area. There'd been in 1993 there'd been an Irish student at the college who had been shot. Now, I saw one account of this that said he was shot as part of a terrorist IRA attack. I saw a separate account that said that he shot himself because he was part of the IRA. I saw another account that said he shot himself because he was felt threatened by the IRA. It's really unclear. Yeah, so there's no straight story. If somebody knows the definitive answer, you can tell me, but I have seen different accounts but I mean I think that's probably the nature of this sort of time people are confused people will report things and say oh well it must have been the IRA that did it and it might not have Mm. been linked I think the fact that it was Irish just made people jump to that conclusion but 
fear was around and people when you're scared people pick a target don't like they like a muslim like drop something in the street it's a bomb like very yeah. much uh, for the 90s it was the muslim panic it was about the irish panic yeah. for that time um so robert hendy freegard took advantage of this and he started to say get paul atkinson aside and say oh do you know what i'm not actually a barman do you honestly think that someone like me would just be a barman? <laughs> of course not. not. I'm here undercover. Not I'm... just a teacher, I actually do a podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually kind of just cool. Just be a teacher. Like in my free time, like <laughs> I'm an alright person. So he said he was undercover, that he was part of MI5 and that he'd been sent to watch the college because obviously, as an agricultural college, they were had access to large amounts of fertiliser. <laughs> Yeah. Which, as some of us will know more than others, are used in making certain types of bombs. Um, so he said he was undercover and he was trying to watch for IRA terrorist cells. He then started to say to John, OK, I've had the word from higher above and you have been singled out as the perfect person for this next mission. No way. He's enlisting people. That's hilarious. Yes. I mean, one of... I did watch a documentary and I told I put it on Twitter that it was it was actually a Polish documentary because it was English. There's no trace of the English one anymore. I even went to Reddit. Those bastards can't find it. Oh shit! There is a Polish dubbed version of the documentary. No. Nah. So I watched it and I had to listen really carefully for the British people talking. Oh shit! I like undercut the Polish man. yeah like there's, some, there's a Polish person <laughs> talking dedication. over the top <laughs> and I was trying to listen so on, on someone on a psychologist on there was really disparaging against the students they were like well they're from agricultural areas rural sheltered they just want excitement came up and they didn't know any better they were like they were just so thrilled to think something was happening that they didn't have the street smarts to think this isn't true. Yeah, like, and I'm it, part of a thing now. Yeah, and in that case, these were the perfect targets right. that enabled him to do it. Sort of gauche, green yeah. sort of people. So he picked John and said what he wanted him to do was start watching particular Irish students and noting down their movements <gasps> and things like that. Um, as part of this, so he John agreed. So then Robert Freegard took the control a little bit further and said, right, if you're going to be doing this, there's going to have to be some tests to prove your loyalty to me. Such as blindfolding him in the cellar of the pub and beating him up. Oh, (laughs) that's not what I was expecting. You're going to have to get the shit kicked out of you. Yeah, pretty much. To prove that you're loyal. To prove that he was loyal, to prove that he could not crack under pressure... Which, to John, felt like, oh, this must be legitimate, because... Yeah, this guy's going to beat me up in a cellar. This must be legit. And he then... I'm shagging a pig. It's legit. (laughs) Well, he didn't go quite that extreme (laughs) with Black Mirror, but he did tell him that he wanted to come out... He wanted him to come out to all his friends as gay. Oh, God. He insisted that he... Was he he gay? No, but he insisted that he tell everybody he was gay. Oh, my God. And... Some accounts say that he obviously did this for control, just to see how far he could push him. He brought some, he bought some clothes for John 
to dress him up as what he imagined a gay person would look like, made him cut his hair so it was a complete oh mess. God. And he, John later said that he could see that he was laughing at him, but he just felt that it was all part of it. I think he was trying to eliminate the threat because there was this John and the two girls I mentioned, Sarah and Maria, that were friends with, and I think he wanted to sort of marginalise John, yeah. make a fool of him, so that he was looked even more impressive. Right. Um, but he said it was all part of the loyalty thing, that you've got to be able to lie to people effectively, and if you can get them to believe you're gay, then that shows that you're going to be able to lie when you're talking to the terrorists. He also said that if we come out to people as gay and start this rumour, we can follow the rumour and see who's passed it on, and it will lead us to the terror cell. <laughs> because yeah. if there's nothing IRA people love more, it's, guess who's gay now? Yeah, gossiping about homosexuals. So the same psychologist that talked about these farming students as being so sheltered and unaware and gauche also said that um, when dressing up John as a homosexual, he must have got a sexual kick out of it. And if he tells you any different... I think he's lying. <laughs> she was really like, this is it. There's no other reason he could have been doing this than he was jizzing his pants over it. <laughs> Which I don't necessarily agree with following the rest of Robert's story. He doesn't really show that any other predilectation towards men. He knows, he does, John is really his only male, so one of his only saying, male targets. She's saying he's secretly gay and he wants to just... Yeah, she's saying no well. one would ever want to do this unless they were getting their rocks off over it. So Robert then said to John he was so pleased with his work here, he needed to move on to the next mission. He wanted him to tell Sarah and Maria that he was dying of liver cancer, which he did. Oh, God. And then that they were all going to have to leave Shropshire and go on a farewell tour of Britain. Like one... Goodbye, Britain. Yeah. Goodbye, like... little Sainsbury's in Hertfordshire. Like, what to... If you're what? literally dying and you're you've got what's the what's on your bucket list? I don't think many people is a camping holiday in Britain. <laughs> yeah. What I'd love to do is see every service station and truly appreciate its beauty. Yeah. <laughs> but they agreed. They said that they could finish their exams when they got back and they left. Well, they were like road trip. Let's do it. Yeah, but they left uni, went on this road trip because they thought their friend was dying and just everything oh, was on hold for it. So once he got them away and they were up north, Robert then revealed to the girls what he said was the real reason for them leaving. He said, John's not dying. We had to think of a way to get you out because our cover has been blown. Like, we need, we're not safe. None of us are safe by association. They found out we're here and we need to go into hiding. So both Sarah and Maria agreed to this, absolutely scared out of their wits. They'd packed for a month to come away on this tour and they wouldn't go home again for 10 years. Oh my God. Which, I mean, let's hope that... People on hunting they were wearing... can't survive a month without getting caught. <laughs> 10 years! Yeah, they were wearing those butterfly clips from 1993 <laughs> till the 2000s. <laughs> That's the real crime here. <laughs> that belly chain has got to go! <laughs> So, as he said, there were assassins on their tail. They couldn't stay in one place. So they were having to move around. He said that their phones would be bugged, so they weren't allowed to recall their families and tell anyone where they were. And basically started using cult leader tactics. 
isolating them away. They had no friends, no family, so they couldn't have outside influence. And then also giving them these constant deadlines of we've got to move, we've got to move. So they had to rely on him, even if they would have had doubts. Mm. There was no way to say, oh, actually, no, because he was like, we've got to leave. Somebody's here. Someone's going to kill us. What are you going to do? It would take a lot, as much as it takes, you might think it takes stupidity to believe him. It takes a lot of bravery to stand up to someone who's saying, there's a sniper, we've got to leave, yeah. and say, do you know what, I might just sit here and see if it's true. Yeah. Um, so they were completely isolated, and he was putting the pressure on them all the time that we're at risk, we're in danger, we're in risk, we're in danger. To be fair, I've watched Channel Ed, and the way to not get caught is to keep on the move. Yeah. Right. So he would start, eventually he split them up, obviously got bored with travelling mm-hmm. around. He started to put them in safe houses... So basically just asking people he would meet, strike up another friendship with, would say, oh, I've got someone that needs somewhere to stay. Can they come sleep on your floor, sleep on your sofa? And would start putting them in these houses, giving them shitty jobs, just be a cleaner, just work in a chip shop, just do this, change your name. Until they were like, there was no reflection of their old life. These university students from nice, wealthy families were now working in menial jobs, sleeping on floors with Mm. no one. So this had been going on for quite a while. So it had already been a year or so that these three students were scared for their lives and believed that they were under the protection of Robert Hendy Freeguard, the MI5 agent. So How were they making money at this point, do you know? Perfect question. (laughs) (laughs) So they did have jobs, but Freeguard realised we're going to need to start getting something from this he's got the control Mm. but he's been doing it for a while now there needs to be something else so he started to come up with his new scam for a way to profit he would allow them to go to phone boxes and he said right you're gonna have to speak to your families and request that they send you money right and atkinson mentioned well when he questioned him about why they were having to fund it he said well if the government give us money for your identities and for your houses then it can be traced. Yeah, but if you phone your families, it can be traced. Well, they just believed him. He's oh, like, so he's like, what happens is you put up all the money first, and when <laughs> the mission's over, then the government will pay you back. Is how he said it oh, worked. Bless him. So he started getting them to ring their families. Like I said, they all were from farming families. So I mean, not crazy cash rich, but they were able to send money. Mm. so it's said that from Atkinson over the course of the years that he was with him he eventually took over £300,000 from his parents Um, Sarah Smith her granddad had died and left her an inheritance and he would be asking her he spent the entirety of it I mean this is a lot of money a lot of money so they were like say living completely slum lifestyle Sarah Smith ended up working in a chip shop known as Betty Smith um Maria Hendy worked as cleaner. John Atkinson worked, I think, as some sort of other cleaner and odd job man. And while Freeguard, Robert Freeguard, was taking their money and going out and having the lifestyle, what? the James Bond lifestyle, he was always in the suits. And to them, it sort of confirmed that, yes, he is this agent. He was always showing up looking smart, clean, sharp, always driving oh cars. He would buy numerous cars in a month <gasps> and return them and just buy more no way um so Aww. yeah 
I mean, the families as well, they hadn't heard from their children for such a long time and then they're ringing up and they would have to just say, I'm desperate, you have to give it me, I can't tell you mm. why. Yeah. Some of them told their parents that they were at risk from the IRA and not to trust the police, not to tell them because it's all yeah. part of it. Um, and so this was his thing that he was doing. Um, during Throughout the years... Robert actually started a relationship with Maria Hendy, took her name, hence why he's Robert Hendy Freeguard, and has had two children with her. Wow. Two daughters. So she, it's thought, is slightly better looked after. Still in safe houses, still not allowed to have friends, not allowed to have family, but not going through the trials that Sarah went through. So he made her change her appearance, cut and bleach her hair. He made her pawn any of the belongings that she took with her, any oh. jewellery. He did things like... He continued to test them, always thinking of new ways to test them, to play with them, to control them. One time, he locked her in a bathroom for three days and said, I'll come back for you. Three days, she was in there with no food. And I wouldn't even do that to a dog. Another time... Oh he said he would there was a lot of tests of i want you to be here go to this place and wait there until i i come for you yeah and to see how long they would wait so at one time he dropped her at gatwick airport and said you must wait here and not speak to anyone until i come to get you she was sleeping in the terminal for three weeks oh my three weeks that's like that's like the film the terminal yeah i spent a night sleeping at an airport on the way to Canada and it was the worst thing ever I was like why am I trying to save 40 quid for a hotel room to like sleep on this shitty bench it was horrible I was like I can do that I'll save some money nope I mean I'm surprised she managed it because like in the terminal that in the film they're like aware of him and like what are we going to do with this man if you worked there you'd have noticed that same woman hanging around for three weeks if you're not actually getting a flight how would you even get through to like You'd just be in the entrance, surely. No idea. Yeah, you'd be like, all right, love, when's she flying? Come on, nothing's delayed this long. I'm not sure which woman it was, because, again, there's so many different sources that say they were asked to do different things. I'm pretty sure it was either Sarah or another woman I'll get to later, but he said, right, I'm putting you in this safe house, you can't speak to her, so I want you to tell pretend that you can't speak English and he told the woman okay this person can't speak English she's Spanish and she lived in this safe house for three months not speaking a word to the person that owned it it's like Kimmy Schmidt and eventually it came out because apparently the woman met had a Spanish friend and invited him over for dinner to cook paella and chat to her and obviously it all fell apart and Hendy had to come and take her out and say, if you tell anyone, the IRA are going to get you and constantly put these threats on people. So already we've got a circle of like 10 or more people that believe there's this undercover mission happening. No one's saying a word because they think they can't trust the police. At this point, I think we must know, like six degrees of separation, we have either met one of his victims or know somebody who thinks that they're under threat from the IRA. Surely by now. If you're listening, get in touch. If you think the IRA after you, please go to the police. Just double check. Yeah, just at least, like, if the, if you, I don't know, if you're worried, like, find a nice-looking policeman, like, if they, I don't Ooh, know. Man. 
yeah just tell Parents somebody they're going to community support officer because they don't know shit about shit no. but. they're going to be like oh I'll have to pass it on but do tell if you're worried the police will look after you probably promises sort of promises possibly probably but they're probably not going to murder you so yeah they're probably not going to murder you um, so I read an extract from a book called Scams Schemes and Scumbags now I think a that could, alliteration yeah I think that could be a brilliant podcasting name um, and they said that Hendy Freegard was not a very dependable person. He was spinning plates with his victims and would leave them waiting for such long periods of time because he had to go and check on other victims. It was a full-time... They were all over the country. His life was driving around, giving you a little mission, giving you a bit of food, a bit of attention, driving around to the next person. Yeah. Most of his victims were female, I mean, John Atkinson is the one one of the exceptions. Most of them were female, and all of them he slept with. So he was basically like the person in the school that goes out and checks on all the students on work experience. <laughs> like, how are you getting on? Yeah, fine, right, next. Given a dick in, in the supply cupboard. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that doesn't happen, but that's what he was doing. So there was a sexual element to it with the female victims. That control, again, going back to his first relationship where he wanted the control of the relationship... He slept with all of the women and they felt like they would get possibly get treated better if they started to sleep with him oh and it didn't. Once he'd got past that point, it said that he had a violent temper yeah. that would start to come out. So weekends, he'd spend with his kids and Maria and she constantly felt like he was going to... Eventually things would get better yeah, and they just weren't. Plus she's got kids by him, so I guess she's kind of hanging on in there. Yeah, doing a good job of that. One article on... BBC um, does go through and try and compile a, a more comprehensive list of his victims. So as I said, this went on for 10 years, the main three being those, but there were others, which I'll bring to you now. So one was a jeweller called Simon Young, and who he made friends with and said that, again, I've singled you out as someone for a mission. And he gave him this task of... I want you to travel from Manchester to London. And he told him exactly which trains, exactly which buses to get. And I want you to buy this specific can opener from a shop. Take it to this pub. Ask for this man and say, and give him the can opener. So just a bizarre thing just to see if he would do it. So he also asked him to go and buy a copy of The Gay Times as putting that in as part of his missions, I think it's safe to say that Robert Freegard was a massive homophobe. Like, mm. he was like, oh, what can I do to really embarrass this person? Yeah. I want them to buy a copy of the Gay Times and read it in public. Lol, lol, lol. <laughs> like, the worst thing he could think How of. How shameful. Like, oh, tell everyone you're gay. That would be horrendous. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Like, he, genu- like, he keeps putting that... For the men, that's the thing yeah. he does. He can't sleep with them. He can't control them. I guess it also makes the women... Like, he's less a... Pe- appealing to other women if they believe it true so it's almost like well, all, all the, the men we've got are gay so are you all gonna have to have sex with me um this young man though didn't fall into the trap forever he did follow the instructions and go on this bizarre mission but when he arrived at the pub they said there isn't a man by this name here so he was like oh well here's a fucking can opener i'll leave it here <laughs> Um, and then he spoke and told Freeguard of what had happened, and he said that it was obvious that he couldn't hide his amusement. He was just pissing his sides. Yeah. And was like, right, this was a scam. So he didn't go with it. That's good. 
Um, another woman was a Polish company director. So a lot of the people, it's one of the things that's interesting about Free God is that the women that he targets are intelligent, professional women. These women, the original girls, university students, there's company director, one woman was a personal assistant to someone. They've all got careers. One was a child psychologist. Wow. You think, yeah, a psychologist, being a psychologist yeah, doesn't... should be like, uh, this is something that a weirdo might do. So, Renata Kister, the company director, she was actually pregnant and recently separated from her partner while pregnant when she met Freeguard. So, in a vulnerable position. Yeah. And like many sociopaths, he turned on the charm initially, saying he would look after her, he would sort her out. Was he good looking? He was... He was a man. He sort of... <laughs> he was a man and he had a face. Yeah. Hair? There was hair on it. Uh, like, nothing... I would say pretty... Pretty average. Like, like a Play-Doh man or a Lego man. Like, nothing Blue-print nothing man. ugly. But I wouldn't have double take. Like, draw a man. There you go, that's a man. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be like, ooh, who's that? Yeah. He's just pretty normal looking. But I guess he had this charm. So aside from his wild MI5 lifestyle, he also got some extra cash. He would work in car dealerships. Similar to other people we've talked about, he had started a scam where he could sell cars that didn't exist or he would sell them for more than they were worth and keep the money. So Miss Kister, he met when she came for a car and did her a deal um, where he said, oh persuading her to buy a car but he kept the money that he made an old one started a relationship with her so that she wouldn't ask for it back yeah oh well if i quite fancy you then i don't worry don't worry about the car yeah i'll give you back eventually um and renata kisto actually was one of the women that eventually was used as a safe house he then would but again it all just helps to believe it if i've told you that i'm an mi5 agent and then i'm saying right now we've got this with someone who needs to be in witness protection can they come and stay with you it yeah. all makes it seem real and this because person... of the people that are in on it as well yeah, yeah you kind of think well they seem like an intelligent person and they're going with this so maybe it is true yeah definitely so she was one woman there was also leslie gardner was another she was a civil servant and she used reported to have given him over sixteen thousand pounds over the years she met him in a nightclub, just mm. out chilling. Again, sold her car to him. And he said that he needed money because he had to buy off some killers because when the Good Friday Agreement happened, 1997, I believe, around then, um, when the Good Friday Agreement happened, some IRA um, members had been released as part of the agreement and he needed to pay them off so they wouldn't assassinate people oh, and she was down for that sold her car and gave him the money well if it's gonna save people's lives he then pretends so as his job at the volkswagen dealership committing his scams he gave leslie gardner a car a brand new volkswagen and said oh here's your repayment i bought you this brand new car fucked off then knocking on her door come the creditors why haven't you paid for this car that you've got on finance no. he just financed a car under her name and been like there you go She's... Oh, I bet she was so excited as well new car like yay driving around in it look at my new car everyone yeah my boyfriend oh, gave it to yeah. me uh, no he fucking didn't <laughs> <laughs> um, 
apparently at the time this article was written I mean she wasn't majorly upset she kept the car and continued to pay it off oh okay she takes care of business <laughs> what's She's that like, wow. I've got a debt I will pay that shit but sometimes Leslie pride comes before a fall and maybe if you hadn't been so proud you should have got rid of that car you didn't need to pay for that no. I would. I don't think I'd actually want to be keep driving around in the car that I knew had been fraudulently foisted upon me maybe it's like she'd showed her friends or like by now like oh look at my new car and they'd be like where's your car gone Leslie exactly Leslie stop giving a shit what people think about you yeah. maybe if we all didn't give so much of a shit about what the IRA thought of us we wouldn't be in this position now again I think good for her like she took the situation and turned it around another young lady elizabeth bartholomew she had been a personal assistant and had worked at one of the dealerships where he worked in sheffield so she had been very recently married but fuck that hendy freegard is a bit of an average man he's got a face he actually didn't work there at this point he was just a customer and would come in constantly asking to test drive cars um, because that's what he likes he to do. Driving past people's houses and be like, look at my new car. So eventually he put, turned on the charms, said that he was into her. They started an affair. They actually had an affair for um, quite a long time. And then she left her husband to be with him. Okay, so they started the affair, after which he then revealed, I'm a member of MI5. IRA terrorists are after me and now you. Oh, God. So she was terrified. Abort, abort. Same patterns as before. Can't speak to your friends, can't speak to your family. Um, he went a little bit further and said that she needed to change her name from Bartholomew to Richardson by deed poll. So yeah, he could make her change it to anything. Like, Richardson's pretty boring. I was going to say, as he, he is super cruel with other things, but at least he didn't say, you've got to go and make your name. Yeah, I would have like, thought it would be some homophobic, like weird name like mrs rug muncher yeah because he is a knob so as well as being homophobic also a little bit racist too of course like why in his world he's kind of being inclusive because he's including all of the nastiness i hate them all equally yeah i hate everyone with the same vigor racist homophobe so there's one of the things that one of the things that he came up with as to really humiliate her was what I want you to do as a loyalty test because you wouldn't do this unless you were truly loyal to me is dress up in a sari <gasps> in a sari and get on a bus in in like South like London getting, as well I'm like mm. no one's gonna give a shit yeah I don't think anyone's gonna look twice at you getting naked on a bus or like a bikini would be yeah way worse way worse but to Freeguard that was what would prove her loyalty to him I'd be like yeah that's fine um, he also started oh. to blackmail her. He would take photographs of her naked and threaten to show them to her husband if <laughs> she ever disobeyed. I will show them to the man who's already seen you naked. He also then did some of his um, similar tricks as before, made her wait in an airport for weeks at a time. He made her sleep on park benches in Peterborough in the winter. And even when he would show up, he confiscated one time, took away her jacket so that she just had to sleep there in a t-shirt for oh, a week. that's horrible. It said that when people, um, by the end, she was a completely different woman. She'd been professional. She was a personal assistant at this car dealership. And by the end, after years, she was emaciated, 
covered in eczema her feet were bleeding and sore from being without shoes and being forced to walk around um, and just constantly thinking that people were watching her I'm surprised he didn't get them hooked on drugs to be honest you'd think that would be the instant way to sort of be like right you're fucked up now he wanted them hooked on him though he felt like he was you know he knew he was born for greatness as his teacher said and he felt like his greatness was his his ability to manipulate people um, one of the things that he did as well, just to instill that fear, was he told her that he knew there was a sniper on the roof opposite her block of flats. So if she was going to go home, she was going to have to not be allowed to turn the lights on, would have to crawl on the floor for a few days. Me and my friend used to play a game where we were like, there's a sniper on the building opposite. Like she used to come around and we pretend there was a sniper. But what annoyed me was she's like, yeah, it's just trying to snipe me. It's not bothered about you watch me crawl Lucy he doesn't want you just look at me writhe around Um, he would take money from her as well but obviously she'd had to stop working so he would make her take out loans for him in her name again saying that MI5 will pay you back and so on didn't we then move on to just a couple more Um, a lawyer I mean fucking hell come on this is Caroline Cowper um, who met him when he was working in a dealership and she was trading in a car. He then scammed her by keeping some money that she'd got on her trade-in and promised to pay her back once his MI5 bosses gave him the money. He then borrowed more money from her because he was and s- selling a desk. Oh. <laughs> I just think, like, oh yeah, I'm an MI5 agent, but do you fancy buying this desk I've got? It's like... <laughs> But here's no desk. What? You pay me the money and then I will someday give you the desk. That's not how these things work. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? 
Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Although we, we legit are spending the Patreon money on actual stuff. Yeah, promises. <laughs> we are not using it, as Hendy said, to pay off the Polish mafia. <laughs> no. To Cowper. Um, another one, and the final one that I'll speak about, because she is integral in his capture, was an American child psychologist, Kimberly Adams. So she met him, had a relationship with him. He told her he was undercover. All of this, they were together for over a year. He seemed to be a little bit nicer to her at first. He would take her on holidays with him and actually proposed to her. But once he proposed, said that she was going to have to be a spy as well. She would have to resign from her job and she would have to cut contact with her family. And that they were going to go and live in a lighthouse somewhere completely remote. I mean, that's a hell of a proposal, isn't it? I mean, mine was pretty, do you want to be my wife? But if it had been like, do you want to be my wife? But also you can never see your family again and become a spy with me. (laughs) I don't know if that's, yeah, it's not really sweetening the deal, is it, Robert? Um, well... (laughs) If you're going to marry me, I'm going to be the only person you're ever going to talk to. That'd be a fucking nice ring, wouldn't it? I mean, I worry about marriage be having only one person you're ever going to sleep with, but only one person you're even allowed, like, verbal contact <laughs> yeah. with. Too much. That's another level of neediness that I'm not prepared for. Um, he then started to show his other side. He said, MI5 are going to have to do background checks on you, so tell me anything in your life that you've done that I don't know about, that I need to know about See, right that, now. That would be handy on first date, though, wouldn't it? It, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> tell me everything all the worst stuff go the problem with that tactic is though you're going to find out something you don't want to know true like you make it seem like it's necessary but it's never going to end well which it didn't he she said i can't think of anything like um when we one time or when we very first had met i ended up kissing an ex-boyfriend and he lost his shit there's an episode of Bob's Burgers have you seen Bob's Burgers? no oh it's the best and um there's this guy who comes in for speed dating and he like takes over it at the restaurant and he's like everyone tell everyone the worst thing you've ever done and then if they still want to go out with you then it's a a match but it's just (laughs) I think it completely backfires but it's really funny Um, good idea that is good (laughs) I'm watching I'm halfway through it because I came here I'm watching a film The Lobster on Netflix I think I've seen it it's like it's got quite a lot of famous people in it and it's um, like a dystopian thing I guess where if you don't couple up like any single person gets turned into an animal and like so all the single people have to go on these bizarre hunting retreats and like shoot the other single people and try and find a match and at one point Colin Farrell has to pretend to be like a really cruel murderous kind of person because so that he can match with this other psychopath I'm halfway through Tickled have you seen that? no that's the one that the dollop keep mentioning right? yeah I've not seen it is it good? it's so weird so far oh I'll have to get on it yeah I think you really like it um so he goes on he's so cool he's even he takes his coolness to another level um kimberly adams son was back in america and he told her that because she's such a promiscuous horrible person his son her son should be better off dead than with a mother like her oh my God. that the rest 
I've got assassins who are going to go and kill him, like constant death threats. Like if she wasn't, if she questioned him and his credibility and his plans, it was, well, I'm going to kill your son then. If you don't believe me, I'm going to have those assassins over there kill your son. Like beyond, like the, the mind fuckery mm. is insane. His mind fuckery did go a step too far. And our American listeners will like this because they kind of swoop in and save the day here. So Kimberly Adams was a loved woman. She had parents back in America. Her father was a judge. Come on, Mr. Adams! Judge Adams. This was now 2002. So Hendy Freegard had been running these schemes and scams and manipulating people for over for 10 years at this point, running this. Judge Adams comes into but the picture. Butterfly clips are gone by now. <laughs> yes, you should not be wearing them. No double denim. So, originally, Judge Adams was giving money and sending it to her for her spy school training, um, being quite proud of the fact that his daughter was becoming a member of MI5. Um, and so his daughter would ring home, ask for money. I'm sure they don't tell their family if they really are. I know, by right? the way, I'm joining MI5. You are the people that people would probably target if they found out. So just don't tell anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Nope. So although Judge Adams did go along with part of it, um, Kimberly wasn't allowed to tell them of her whereabouts, which brought off alarm bells. So Judge Adams did contact the FBI. (laughs) And was like, look. Your daughter who's one of you. Yeah, (laughs) she's a spy and I'd just like to find out some facts. (laughs) So, but fair fucking play to him. He wasn't scared of the IRA threats. I don't think many Americans are probably scared of that. They could probably squish them. IRA, what's up? So, he, the FBI, booked their her parents' home phone, and we started recording the conversations when she would ring. Eventually, they were able to set up a sting between the FBI and Scotland Yard, where they stopped sending money. And agreed that they would only give £10,000 to them if they were able to hand it over in person. So, Kim's parents flew to London, met them at Heathrow, where they were able to finally arrest him. Yeah! And catch him. So, thank you to that one. Well done, Mr and Mrs Adams. So, then became the unravelling. I mean, you'd be pretty embarrassed if you were one of the people that you'd... Well... I mean, it wasn't fucking true. Well, well, really, realistically, if you think you're under threat and you've not been able to tell the police and then the police come at your door saying, oh, are oh, you involved shit. in this? What's your reaction nope. actually going to be? Exactly. You're not going to want to speak like, to them. Grab a samurai sword and impale yourself. Yeah, like which is dead. why the scam worked so well because yeah. they resisted the intervention from the police and they didn't tell people. They'd been training for years to have complete loyalty, to not yeah. say a word... They weren't going to do it. And that would make it look even more legit. Because you're like, oh no, the police are actually involved. Yeah. So, although the Adams got the FBI involved, Caroline Cowper, the lawyer, was one of the first people to come forward. And that followed by John Atkinson, who got Scotland Yard and enabled this joint sting to happen. So, once they'd done that, they needed to find the other victims and start to build their case. So, Kim Adams had recalled that... Um, Freeguard had kept a locked briefcase full of documents in a ski resort in France where they'd been on holiday. So they went into this and within there they found some of the documents that would help lead them to the victims. They found details of safe houses and information on Renata Kister who 
originally thought it was a trick when the police came but after about a week of them being like okay we need to speak to you like we need help like we've caught him like come on she said that actually i had housed sarah smith she's now here and so they went to her who again was like refused to be rescued believed it was a trick i'm keeping this sorry on and i'm staying the way that i am but then again was eventually able to return to her family Mm. and they also found the information on elizabeth richardson bartholomew and leslie gardner so they were starting to find the people um so then came the trial which was totally different to any others because although he hadn't kidnapped these people it was he was charged with the kidnap of atkinson and sarah smith of kidnap by fraud which is a relatively bizarre thing it's only happened a couple of times and he was given a life sentence for that in 2005 wow i mean that's good that is super good Except in 2007, he won an appeal against the kidnap convictions and his sentence was shortened to only nine years. Is it because they could technically go? Right. Yeah. yeah. They could have... The, the, the ideas, Exactly. They didn't feel they could because of what he'd done to them. And what he'd said to them, like, you're going to get shot in the head if you do this. Yeah. So by my reckonings, he'll be out next year be outside our fucking door so if anyone tells you they're from mi5 and they don't introduce themselves and it's using a man that, with a face if the man has a face and hair <laughs> and he's coming up to you saying i'm with mi5 be like yo unless judy dench is involved it's not yeah. true nope. my murderer is Ruth Ellis, and she was the last woman to be hanged in Britain. She used up all the rope. (laughs) Proper fat neck on Ruth Ellis. Um, So she was born in Wales, um, born Ruth Nielsen, which is already a murdery name. Definitely a murdery name. And the other one. Nelson. The Black Panther. Yep. Um, father was a musician, so she moved around the country a lot. So she's one of those kids that sort of travels. Bratty. They show up at school and they're like, hey, that yeah. kids that start school new are usually shy. Kids that are used to moving around and start school are little shits. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't give a fuck because I'll be gone soon. Yeah. Um, really rebellious, difficult child. There you go. Big um, she wasn't. She wasn't that academic either. She kind of like didn't really like school yeah because she keeps missing everything yeah because she's starting the new curriculum she's done 3d shape a hundred times yeah and not once has she got around to fractions <laughs> pretty much um her father because he was a musician if he was getting work regularly they were doing all right but then if he couldn't get any work they were just living in poverty basically so it's really hit and miss like she'd have no school shoes she'd have no school shoes um left school at 14 was just like i can't be asked anymore um, started working in a factory and she was kind of sort of um, kind of ahead of her time because this was like 19 it was before the second world war so 19 she was making iPhones uh, <laughs> and uh, she sort of dyed her hair blonde bleach blonde and had like quite a really modern look for this time uh, she used to go dancing a lot and then she met a Canadian Aww. sexy Canadian with a lot of money Buble. and so I mean she was 15, 16 now um, so she met this Canadian totally besotted with him 
I mean, he had more money. He's taking her out for dinner. Um, and you can see how she'd be like, this is great. Brilliant. Someone to look after her. So she was going out dancing and, and meeting men and then she met him. Um, and it was mid-war war, and girls had no money. So now we're into the war years. Um, and he used to send her flowers and he took her out in Soho to restaurants. So she felt really special. And you know, when people, when girls were sort of painting on their tights with like Oh yeah, powder. doing the seam up the back yeah. with eyeliner. And then he was buying her like nice stockings and stuff because he had more money. So he told her he wanted to marry her. Um, and she believed him and she got pregnant at age 17 so they had quite a long term affair that's what they do they're like it's okay if we have sex now because we're definitely getting married later and it'll all make sense in the end it'll all come out in the wash (laughs) just like my semen on your skirt (laughs) so which actually probably didn't come out (laughs) unless you like scrubbed it on one of those washboards although dad probably had one from his skiffle band I mean, semen and water do not make well. <laughs> I will tear down your jokes with chemistry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so her mother looked up the Canadian when she said, Mom, I'm pregnant. Found out he's got a wife, he's got kids in Canada. Like, he's just bullshit. Bullshit. Um, so she'd been sucked in. So the Canadian. Exactly Cana- like Michael Bublé. Yeah. He has a wife and kids in Canada. She had a boy and she named it after its father. Yes. Any guesses on the first name? John. No. Claire. What? Claire, apparently. Like St. Claire. So she had a boy and named him. Clary. Claire Andrea Nielsen. Andrea. Andrea. So both girls' names. Yeah, he's just got he's just got a girl's name. Two girls' names. Not even one Not is an accident. One. one is like kooky. Two is <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, two is Ed Gein and I'm misgendering you on purpose. <laughs> yeah. So um, she tried to look after her son. She was, she was struggling. She wanted to go out and work. Um, so she left her son with her mother and just went to work um, at a camera club, which she basically would go and pose naked for male photographers. So it was like life life drawing, but with cameras. It's like, here's cool. my boobs. Keep it. Here's my boobs. Take a photo. Take it home with you for keepsies. Yeah. Um, Did really well. I mean, she was pretty. Like she was. She looked nice. She she had the blonde hair, so she was really striking. She like took care of herself. Um, And so she was offered a job as a hostess, which was better paid. So someone that she'd been networking with Mm. basically said, "Come and be a hostess." So she worked in Mayfair, which we all know is the most expensive on the Monopoly, Monopoly board. Yeah. That's like the best one. I never get that one. Um, and so I spend all my money on the browns. <laughs> Just because you land on them first, I know to be patient. I know this isn't the best tactic. Get all the brown ones. I stick a few houses on. Fuck it. That's as much as Mayfair. Maybe. Slaughter, bring you Monopoly tips. I still want Slaughter Monopoly one day. Murder what Monopoly. What streets would there be? Uh, Mayfair now. Did we have all the ones with Kieran Kelly or the oh uh, murderers houses? Yeah, um, yeah, Cromwell Street. There we and go. Stuff. Uh, so she made good money. Basically, she was one of those women in a nightclub selling drinks for ridiculous prices. Now the the equivalent now is those ones with those test tube shots. Shot girls, and you're like, they're like, oh, they're a pound each, and then you pay it, and they're like, yeah, it's three pounds each, and you're like. You're fucking with they me. They don't even do that. They go, here, have a shot, have a shot. They put it in your hand. Here, have the shot. It's going to be amazing. And then go, now you owe me money. Yeah, like, that's the biggest bullshit. That's what they did in New Orleans. 
And that guy was like in London with about 40 quid. Yeah, we were like, well, it was your own fucking fault. He was like, well, she had boobs, so... He was that Australian one who lived on a farm. Yeah. Farm boys, come on. Yeah, come on. He is prime for a conning. (laughs) So um, she worked hard. She wasn't like just blagging. She was working really hard and she was making £20 a week where she was making about £2 a week in factory. So she was doing really well. In this job, she was socialising with a lot of men and it didn't take a long she'd already got her boobs out for camera she started having sex with men at the club for money so they were like well fancy a quickie and she I mean they interviewed her friend on the documentary that I watched and her friend was like she liked having sex she was like fuck it and if you're not technically a prostitute there's no contractual obligation to shag the ugly ones yeah so if you think they're hot and they're up for it and you're gonna get paid she's basically doing what i do for free yeah i think she that was her logic she was like he's cute i'm gonna have sex with him anyway might as well get some money for it i don't shag people in clubs no i made it sound like i did well, no it makes you sound like you shag people at work definitely <laughs> don't do that Okay. So her friends were like, she enjoys sex. She was just sort of making money. She became the manager of a different club. So they, someone else sort of headhunted her. She was doing really well. She was really striking. She's getting a name for herself as being someone who's hardworking. Um, so she was hired as the manager for the little club in Mayfair. Here's when she fucking started plucking her eyebrows like nobody's business. I did see the sperm brows. They're not even sperm brows. They're like... Like that. Like you've almost like drawn them on. Just a single line. Just like one hair interlinking I bet she didn't even have any hairs I bet they just shaved them off and drew them on probably Um, it's double brow you gotta keep on top of that (laughs) at this time she was still sleeping with people who were coming to the club and she had quite a few illegal abortions so Mm. she was getting pregnant quite regularly Um, she met George Ellis now we already know that her name is Ruth Ellis later on so ding 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 what a coincidence what could be happening with them and he was 21 years older than Ruth so he was an old guy really and he came to the club quite a lot now you'd think that she'd go for someone who was kind of really settled have lots of money rich he was quite rich but he was a total alcoholic and he was absolutely infatuated with Ruth so he would come to the club all the time obviously getting drinks um and he kind of I don't think he wore her down I think she did like him but it was sort of like he kind of he just wanted her. her yeah she married George, and they had a child called Georgina. Oh. George and Georgina. Um, and, but they had a really turbulent relationship. Yeah, he's Ge- a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're were... known for that. They're not, I'm not being like, oh, he's such a dependable alcoholic. <laughs> no. You yeah. kind of, you knew what you were getting into. Uh, so George thought, well, Ru- Ruth was still sleeping with other men. Oh, for money. That doesn't but she, help situations with the yeah. with the irrational alcoholic. But she was super jealous of him sleeping with other women. She was like, "You're sleeping with other women." Yeah. Like, I sorry, just because I mentioned I mentioned to Lucy that on my date the other day that I'd made him watch both episodes of a very British brothel, a documentary that a few people on the Facebook group have been chatting about and in it one of the prostitutes has a boyfriend at home who is, seems such a sweet little guy and she's obviously a prostitute sleeping with men most nights and then she goes yeah but if I found out that he'd slept with a prostitute I would leave him and that'd be it 
I was like, I don't really understand yeah, the I logic. I think that was Ruth's logic. Like, well, I'm doing it for money, so that makes it okay. If he but, does it out of choice, then that's wrong. So she was crazy jealous. Um, so his alcoholism, her jealousy, they didn't even make it to a year of marriage. It was just oh. chaotic. And uh, you'll find a lot of her relationships are sort of chaotic. So at this point, she's she's got two kids she's lived a life hasn't she already two kids and she's still only young um she's been married and she's had loads of abortions she's still working hard and she goes through sort of these periods of like working while and having a lot of money but then there's times when she's hard up as well so um and, and she even went to the stage where she'd started just stalking him like she he'd go to the hospital and she'd be like you're shagging the nurses and just stake out the hospital so she was like a committed jealous like stalker so they hadn't cut each other from their lives they were still quite toxically involved yeah. so then she was pregnant again when she left george um and she met david blakely at her club she there were a lot of kind of race car drivers that were coming in um it was quite a nice club and she was and she knew celebrities and stuff so she was sort of well known um almost a socialite herself yeah and david blakely was quite a rich guy but he wanted to be a racing driver so he hung around with racing drivers and she said at first when she met him she thought he was hoity-toity that's definitely the way way to do it like if you want to be a racing driver don't bother learning how to drive a car fast that's not what it takes hang around with other racing drivers and osmosis will do the work for you i mean at some point they're gonna stick you in a car and let you drive it who cares everybody knows that practice does not make perfect just wear the wear the racing driver clothes yeah hang around with racing drivers buy the gear talk a lot about the stuff hang around with people sometimes lie (laughs) (laughs) that's how you get to be a racing driver there we go uh, so she was like, oh, he's a bit of a dick at first. But um, within a month... Yeah, of course he fucking is. He wants to be a racing driver. And, and his rich. plan A is to just hang around with racing drivers In and clubs. not get a driving license. <laughs> yeah. So within a month, they were living together. He moved into her apartment at the club. Um, oh, so he's not even supporting her? No. Girl, what are you doing? Um, he was from a rich family, but he was three years younger than her. And uh, I d- He'd been left £7,000 by his father um, and he was going to use that on training. So he was just drinking free booze at the club, living out of her apartment, um, sleeping there for free. And he began to be kind of aggressive. So, the, Oh yeah, this... because she's not giving you everything you want and need. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was just really intense. And she ended up with these men who kind of, they wanted to be controlling, but also Ruth was quite a jealous person and she didn't want to be controlled and, and she just didn't need them the same way like, yeah she wasn't going to be in awe of these men because like you said and she's hard working she's making moves and every time she got in a relationship she still kept sleeping with men for money which obviously is going to sort of yeah. be a bit of a catalyst as well like that's not going to help stuff so she and blakely got engaged um but he was all this time engaged to another woman oh for fuck's sake i know while he was living with her while he was living with her so i think when it, do they find the time i think it was one of those sort of rich engagements where it's like we're betrothed oh. to an extent i mean they were i couldn't we forced couldn't them out. to touch lips as babies yeah and therefore they're betrothed to each other for all time so they went to parties together but a lot of his friends thought i mean they just thought she was a bit like 
who is this woman with a bleach blonde hair and no eyebrows uh, they just didn't think she was good enough for him so that was quite a lot of um friction there and they just told her told him to get rid of her but he was still i mean it's it was fun for him i guess and if he was going to go out of that club i mean it's like you can roll home drunk i'll just go upstairs then and if there's alcohol involved and you're like she's there he drinks there this is exactly like the beginning of legally blonde yeah if only she'd had that film in her life well pretty woman a little bit she goes to the races so ruth although she was seeing um david blakely she was she knew that he was kind of getting a bit like my friends don't really like you so she took up with another man desmond cousin who was coming into the bar as well and he was a really nice man like he genuinely cared for ruth he was a few years older than her but not like ancient really kind to her really reliable and he just wanted to he just wanted to be with her um and blakely was exciting and cousin was boring and would just take any old shit she threw at him basically so she was using cousin to an extent to make blakely jealous and it worked because he ended his engagement um but she still kept seeing cousin on the side so i mean look just these messed up relationships it's just it's not normal um blakely was getting more and more aggressive and he would punch ruth um in front of people and no one did shit about it they were fighting often they were fighting at her work and eventually her boss said to her say of fire yeah basically said right well it's blakely or the job either you end it with him he's staying here for free he's beating you up in front of customers it makes us look ridiculous break up with him or you can't stay here what did she do quit a job oh no quit a job she chose blakely and she was made homeless so at this point blakely's ended it with his fiancee he's with ruth ruth chosen blakely over her job she's homeless you would think he's got seven thousand pounds start spending it he's gonna put her up in a nice place together no she fucking moved in with cousin (laughs) so she moves in with cousin because he's like well i'm not having you homeless move into my place bless him but he let her have blakely visit no. so he was like i really want to be with you if this is the only way that i can do it oh i'm gonna no. let him just pop over whenever he feels like he's gonna be number one i'm gonna be just there when he's not there oh dear. I mean, that's like mary pierce how she's like i'd rather you got married and still saw me a bit yeah oh it, bless him um so ruth um ruth told blakely she was pregnant um I mean, I don't know how... I don't know if they, how they could prove whose it was, but I, she was convinced it was Blakely's. And this is when I kind of have a lot of sympathy for Ruth and I kind of start hating Blakely, really. I mean, he's been a shit to this point. But they rowed. Blakely punched her in the stomach because she had a miscarriage. So, in a way, he's he's a murderer now. I mean, you can definitely go to prison for that, can't you? That is... Because I know it used to be like, oh, well, it's a fetus, it hasn't got rights, but I know now there's... There are laws where if you cause that. But she, oh, she didn't tell anyone. But, um, yeah, horrific domestic violence. Um, I mean, to act, for the punch to have caused it yeah. is just, like, I, mean, I bet he wouldn't have even done that once if he'd been going at her. Yeah, I mean, he clearly didn't give a shit about her, really. 
So he, um, they were supposed to go on a date and he didn't turn up for one of their dates. Um, and she started going around looking for him in a jealous rage and she was checking everyone they knew. She was checking where he was. Obviously she couldn't just text him because this is the No, it had to be like a crazy, like what we call a stalker now is just good research. <laughs> yeah. Like she was genuinely creeping around alleys. And also... I mean, you got <laughs> Also, before you got mobile phones, if you went to meet someone and they weren't there, you just had to fucking wait. I hate that. Like, you can't even just text them and be like, how far away are you? I'll be in this shop. No patience now. Always text them and like, I'm here, where are you? Yeah. Like, within a minute, where are yeah. you? Because where, I'm where always on time. Or I'll be in this shop now. Yeah. I will, will not stand there. where you asked me to stand. I will leave. Yeah. Because I can tell you. She wrecked his car. She found his car. She wrecked it. But he wasn't there. She thought maybe that might pull him out of hiding. He might come and see her. So she smashed up his car. He didn't show up. Um, and cousin went, came and collected her because she was just sort of having a hissy fit in the middle of the street and smashing up this car. For this guy who's fucking punched her in the stomach and made her have a miscarriage. So uh, in the car with cousin, reportedly, she resolved, I'm going to kill Blakely. So she de- turned to Desmond cousin for help. And oh, Desmond. He, like, don't go to Desmond, no. I'm up, I was on your side, Des. I can handle it like you love her. You'll yeah. do it. But don't do a murder for her. He drove her to get a gun and he taught her to fire it. So she had cousin drive her to um, the pub, which it was the Magdala pub, where he used to drink quite a lot, which is still there. You can still go. I think we should have a road Please trip there. Let's. We should have a sort of trip to any places that still exist where people were murdered in our podcast. But you're not allowed to come with us because we know you're all planning to kill us. <laughs> yeah. You um, fucking psychos. So they went to the pub in Hampstead um, and his car was parked outside. So she was like, he's definitely fucking here. He's still driving it round. <laughs> yeah. Dragging it behind him. Uh, she saw him inside and just stood there and waited. So she didn't go in, but she just hung around outside. Um, and as he walked out, she called out, David! And he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> just, like, started walking away, just completely ignored it. She's like, David, look at me! No. So she shot him. Pulled out the gun, shot him numerous times. Shot him once, she missed. Shot him again, he fell over. Shot him three times. She then turned the gun on herself. <gasps> it jammed. And she just stood there. Uh, some of his shots were in the back. So, obviously, that doesn't look good. Well, um, he wouldn't fucking look at her. She tried her best. She was like, turn yeah. around. I will turn shoot around. you in the face. And no. He would, so, so, she turned to the crowd and just said, call the police. And the best line of this story, an off-duty policeman said back, I am the police, and arrested her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the weirdest thing was, it was on a fucking Sunday. Why? Like, things like this don't happen on a Sunday <laughs> in the pub. Sunday in the pub's like demure, chilled out. Like, you'd think it'd be... Everyone who's in the pub on a Sunday is like, I'm either here because I'm not napping. Yeah. Like, here because I'm waiting for my dinner or I've, had, or I've had my dinner. Yeah. It's one or the other. The main focus of today is dinner. Yeah. Um, so when questioned, Ruth told the police she got the gun from someone at the club. She didn't mention Desmond Cousin's name at all, which I think is fair enough. She was it's trying the to fucking least she can do. Shows him like a year's worth of rent. <laughs> uh, 
Um, she didn't. Yeah, she she confessed to the murder, and by this point, she just really wanted to die. She she just oh. had enough. She was like, basically, she was like, I've killed the man that I love. She wanted. She was going to kill herself, wasn't she? Yeah, like, she I've killed the man that I love, and now I just want to be with him. She's still obsessed with him, still in love with him. Told his family that she's still in love with him, and that I'll die loving him. Um, she stood trial at the Old Bailey, and before court. Uh, have you seen Chicago? Yes. They, uh, her lawyers were trying to get her to look sort of demure, toned down. She fucking bleached her hair again. She was like, I'm not... That is whatever. what happens in Chicago. Yeah, pure sass. So she dyed her hair again. She went in platinum blonde. And she didn't take any shit during the trial. Uh, and everyone just thought, this tart. She's a tart. She's obviously got loose morals if she's going to go around with bleach blonde hair. How dare she? And it's short. <gasps> and it, they were just sort of against her she could, she didn't get the sympathy of the jury um, and so she pleaded not guilty she was convinced to plead not guilty oh did guilty. she? yeah that, I would say she must have been told to do that yeah they convinced her I think by now she was starting to get a little bit worried some time had gone by and she was starting to think actually the death penalty is pretty scary um, the trial only lasted for two days and her defence was shit what I was going to say, she shot him and then said to everyone, get the police because I just shot a man. Well, yeah, I know, but there's so many issues, like the fact that he punched her and she'd lost the baby. Um, she was taking a lot of tranquilizers at the time. So I guess um, they couldn't try they, and go for manslaughter or Yeah, they could have brought up the fact that Desmond Cousin gave her the gun. It's not like she went to get it herself. He could have been implicated. He could have at least been... Um, An accomplice. yeah none of this none of this came up at trial I and mean, the fact that he'd she'd miscarried because of him punching her i mean that would have been a serious incident the the brutality people people could have been witnesses to him punching her in, in public it would have been a crime of passion i don't think she would have got the death penalty at all if any of this had come out but her defense oh, what? So they didn't even didn't even talk about it the, the defense was shit yeah they didn't mention the miscarriage they didn't even bring it up she didn't oh, bring it God. up but neither did her defence counsel who were just like well she probably didn't mean to do it or some shit like that like <sighs> none of this came out at trial none of it um, Desmond spoke to the court um, and he said that they were lovers didn't say anything about his part in the murder driving her any of that um, and he wasn't questioned about it at all no one even said what were you doing on, when this happened? Seems like no one cared to think about it. Like, they were just like, oh, we just... It's weird because it was really quite public and like, because she's like quite a pretty young woman and there's kind of that morbid fascination of how could this kind of woman do this kind of thing? But, um, yeah, none of this came out. It just was totally, just not even considered. So the jury took about 23 minutes because they had nothing else to go on. I mean, basically it was like, all we've got is she said oh and she also said during the trial they said what did what were you thinking when you held the gun and she said well obviously i was thinking i'm gonna kill him and it's like what else do they have to go on Mm. that they couldn't have gone any other way and then in the documentary i watched they talked to the daughter of the judge and she said that even he didn't really want to give her the death penalty but he had no choice but he was like there must be more to this. I can't believe it's this easy. I don't know. They just, it was just too easy for everyone. There was no argument. Yeah. Um, and I guess if she'd have just wanted to die, she doesn't have the motivation to 
you know, yeah. maybe a bit apathetic towards it, like given up already. Yeah. Like not really fine. Basically, it. yeah. So she was sentenced to death by hanging. Um, and the public, to be fair, was like, this isn't right. So there was a lot of petitioning about the verdict, people questioning the judge's decision, but also people questioning whether a woman could even be held responsible for this crime. They how, don't know what they're doing. How can a woman know what she's doing to this She's to just murder a girl her? in love. Yeah. She can't be held responsible for her actions. Which was a bit bullshit. Um, <laughs> she, she was kind of in quite a deep depression by this point. Uh, and she, she kind of just went along with everything um, up until the day before her execution where she put in an appeal. So the day before, she was like, actually, Desmond was there and he did all this shit. So some blame has to go with him. So they started looking for cousin. He'd gone into hiding. And they basically, they were like, well, we can't find him, so we're just going to have to hang him anyway. I mean, I guess there's a lot of people I who do... I promise I'm looking. Oh, he's not here. Yeah. I'm I... looking all around my office <laughs> and I can't find him. He's not in the street. Nope. He's not stood outside. That is for sure. So she was hanged the next day and she was the last woman in Britain to be put to death. And even the hangman, Pierpoint, he felt really bad and he had concerns he didn't really think it was right he thought there was more that's extreme if someone whose job it is to hang people is like i'm a bit concerned about this one but even more like surely you by this point (laughs) you're pretty good at not being concerned for it and so he resigned shortly after i mean i don't know i don't know if it was cause and effect it might have just been like he was getting old but a lot of people chalk it down to that he was so against the death penalty for Ruth. Um, and Desmond Cousin, quite shortly after, moved to Australia. So he was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. The year after Ruth was hanged, they first introduced diminished responsibility as um, a cause for people, like, you could plead diminished responsibility. Uh-huh. Before that, that couldn't have happened. And I think if that had been the case, she probably I don't think she would have been hanged. Um, so she was quite a big part of um, the reason why they got rid of the death penalty in Britain. It wasn't that long right. after. Uh, people suggested that she was suicidal and had wanted to die, but being Catholic, she didn't feel that it was moral for her to kill herself. I'm sure the Bible does say shit about killing other people, though. It's not in I think the it might be in there somewhere. I mean, I've not read the Bible for a while. <laughs> but thinking back, I'm sure something about... Maybe it's like not, not stabbing people. Like don't people. don't shoot anyone in the face. The back's all right. So I mean, it's quite a tragedy. There's still a lot of people who are very sympathetic to Ruth, um, and Where? she's she's kind of one of like my mum. She's like, it's not fair. It was a very unfortunate case. She didn't Your deserve mom to die. Your would definitely murder someone if they got on the wrong side she of her. She is well on Ruth's side for this one. <laughs> in 1969, uh, Ruth's mother was found unconscious in a gas-filled room and she never fully recovered. So she attempted suicide and then I don't think she spoke ever after that. She'd kind of just mentally checked out. So she was mortified. I mean, the poor kids that she was looking after lost their mum and their grandma. Yeah. Um, George Ellis. Well, sorry. and the dad, she killed him. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that was the first, the first. She was looking after the first kid. Oh, okay. But George Ellis, the dad, he strangled himself in 1958. Fucking hell. Right? 
And then Ruth's son, who's lost his grandma, his mum and his dad, hanged himself in 1982. <gasps> so this is horrendous. Marriage of, of horrible things happening to this family. And yeah, so that's Ruth Ellis, the last woman ever to be hanged in Britain. Fucking hell, loose. <laughs> you could have written a joke to finish or something. <sighs> so thanks for listening to episode 14. We would love it if you could review us, subscribe to us, tell your friends, um, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter. And that's it. So if you listened to this episode of Slaughter, it doesn't make you a psycho. Shooting men in the back does. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.